What motivated you to get down this path, Dave? Eunice was like, hey, bro, like, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, what is it? And she's like, look, you've been wearing like the same shirts for like three years now, and they're getting really raggedy and really holy. And you're to look like a homeless man. <laughs> she she had like, an intervention. She sat down with you about this. Yeah. And then and she, was, she was like, you need to buy some new shirts. Like, I know you can afford to buy some new t-shirts. Just go with some new t-shirts. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not buying new t-shirts. I'm going to work out enough so I can fit into my old shirts again. I don't mm. have to buy new ones. Good strategy. Good strategy. That's my strategy. Yeah. She knows how to play your weaknesses. She does. Appeal to my vanity. That's, it's, vanity that's and pride. Well. On yeah. the last side, it's working. Yeah. Yeah, and man. may not be working in her benefit if you look this good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying about Dave? Just, I'm just saying. She's in the other room. Can you also cut that out, Alex? Just please cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Eunice. How does it feel, Eunice, to have such a fit man around? <laughs> Hello, Barbarians, and welcome to the eighth episode of the LLB podcast, Low Level Barbarians. From Asia, on Asia, with debate and discussion on trending topics with our usual hosts, men of the high ground, Dave Chang. What's up? Jangan, the super information super connector. How are you doing, Jangan? I'm in Kuala Lumpur. Hi. And uh, Andrew G, coming from London, the master debater. How's London? London is cold. London is cold. They need to do something with the weather here. It's rainy and it's cold. It's been surprisingly warm in uh, New Jersey, the East Coast. So it's, uh, yeah. It's been it's been good. Um, I, came, so, I came from Miami though, so this is a massive downgrade. I miss <laughs> I miss the beaches and the heat. But I, uh, I think Alex, you, you need to explain why we have uh, had such a long gap. That's a good point. We, we, yeah. we, we had a holiday <laughs> lull. Uh, I've been eating too much food, enjoying life in America. Andrew's been traveling from San Francisco to Miami to I don't know where London now. Uh, Dave. Uh, we were in Las Vegas. Dave and I were in Las Vegas. That was hard to coordinate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were a little yeah. out out there. We couldn't focus. <laughs> so yeah, it, was a good time. it was it was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> Las Vegas was a very good trip. Uh, you know, uh, then uh, Jangan was the only responsible and yelling at us, saying, "Why is there no episode?" <laughs> I, was, I was I was working. I was looking for some like you know two hours to 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 get away from work. But you guys were like you know traveling holiday. I mean going here and there so yeah but, uh, but 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 finally i'm able to jump out of singapore so i'm in malaysia now so first time yes. in, since january last year yes yeah, since, since you probably traveled out of singapore right does it feel to get out yeah does it feel good to get out yeah yes it feels good to do to, to to get out i mean just i mean <laughs> the previous weekend i already couldn't find out where to go in singapore anymore like all the places <laughs> i've been going to for the past <laughs> 90 weekends so <laughs> yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Fair, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it feels good. What a place to be stuck. Singapore. Huh? What a place to be stuck. It's so tiny. It's uh I mean it's it's a bubble. It's very nice, yeah. but uh but but yeah, so so it's uh it's small. So you don't I mean you basically can't just drive around. It's uh it's just forty kilometers time twenty six, so yeah. But yeah, right. good to be out. Yeah. Yes, good to have you guys back. And for for the first topic, uh, we can't avoid this one. Uh, we're back to our our, our favorite topic uh, on December second. Grab merged with the alternative SPAC, which they raised four point five billion. That's like without the pipe, I'm guessing. Uh, it's one of the biggest, if not one of the biggest SPAC deals we've seen. 
Uh, currently, the market cap's around what thirty-five to forty billion. Uh, no, it's, it's down to twenty-five. Yeah. Well, it's down to twenty-five. Well, if we are trading at six dollars today, six point eight. Well, if brutal. we can drop it's further, it's been a brutal ride. It has yeah. been brutal. So, no. uh, what value would you guys start buying in then? What, what is fair market value? <laughs> Let's just say one of us is live figuring five out to ten. this stock right now. Five, five to <laughs> Let's just say I, I'm going to take some victory laps. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the market's punished. You know what? We'll talk about it in two years because I hold a little bit. <laughs> that's fair. No, no, no that's right. Yeah, that's, no, fair. Fair. that's fair. That's fair. We can talk I mean, in two years. We can talk. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, we'll talk yeah, about right. that. We'll talk about that, right? I mean, in comparison, you know, even Uber with rideshare component, they're, they're, they're struggling. They're below IPO market price. They have a market yeah. cap of $70 billion. Um, yeah. but, you know, but they have more of a machine Albeit a lot of the criticisms we said about Grab for rideshare is the same applies to Uber too. Um, on the IPO, you know, Ming Ma, the president, uh, said their main focus is what we talked about: food delivery, financial services, and logistics. Um, on the day of the, the you know, the IPO, the, the stock dropped more than twenty percent. It's continuing further down, 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 spiraling down. Um, so, guys, what is the good? What is the bad? What is the ugly? Uh, who wants to start? I think they should start. Okay. Let me let me start because I feel like I've been sort of shitting on this company for a long time. So I do want to say something like kind of positive about it. So you know, <laughs> just so I don't just kind of sound like a person who's just overly negative all the time. So I yeah. do think um, you know. To be fair, uh, I mean, I think everything that we've said previously, uh, I've said previously on the podcast, still applies. However, I think in this particular case their drop in performance is not 100 percent uh idiosyncratic to the company and what i what i mean by that is basically the market in general is having a pretty big correction vis-a-vis growth stocks right so if you look at sort of like a lot of the growth stocks that had to like really bang up q1 q2 q3s earlier this year so we'll just toss out some names that people might know like uh, c uh, zoom uh paleoton so there's been a huge correction um uh, across the growth sector uh, overall, right? So, so some of these things are down, like, I mean, even C is down like 30% from peak market cap this year. So, so, and for me, I think a lot of that is coming from the fact that the interest rates in the US are basically at a 40 year high. Like the reports came out like last week that the year over year CPI was like 6.78. And it's never been that high. And then the Fed, in the US is already signaling strongly that they're going to start cutting back on both tapering um, as well as potentially looking into inflation hikes um, in the future. So I think what's happening here to a certain extent is that this is being priced into not just Grab, but the entire growth sector in general. So not all their fault. <laughs> a week before uh, Grab went uh, public, uh, I was actually at headquarters meeting a friend and it was a uh, was a very funny feeling because um because we were at that building you look around across the expressway you see a big shoppy sign so basically <laughs> the the shoppy headquarters is about uh I, I counted i mean so the sort of uh, the distance uh, in a line is about 1.2 kilometers and if you drive it's about four minutes so so it'll be interesting um to see that, I mean, how the dynamics going to play out. I mean, I'm in Malaysia now. I see, um, I see Shopee, Shopee Food is doing some crazy vouchering at the moment, and I, I, I've not seen anybody doing that level of vouchering for a long time. I mean, mm. what 
can ring get discount with no no minimum order so i see i, I see i see friends who are basically ordering like 13 ringgit 14 ringgit meals uh which essentially paying like four ringgit so so so, so that, that that part is crazy um yeah so 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 i think hot dynamics is going to play out uh in the next few months years uh i think i, I think it's going to be interesting because um because the growth opportunities in the region for big companies uh, are upon to 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 collide, and uh, and and I think both ca- companies, of course, the valuations are very different in the public market, but uh, both companies have lots of cash. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how how this is going to play out. Well, did you guys uh, read the article I sent you earlier this afternoon about how Grab is buying Jaya Grocer for like uh, the target price is somewhere between one point five and one point eight billion ringgit? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to read. I saw the headline, but um, I mean, I guess it's not surprising given given their trend, right? They have to double down on, like the three sectors we just talked about. Yeah, groceries and delivery, right? Um, that they they say it's a long way to go. That behavior is going to shift and change. I don't know if you guys actually agree with that. Like, I, personally, for me, I'm a little bit old school. Where I don't do groceries, but a lot of people I know do, um, and it it's it's a big. It's a big sector, even in the U.S. now. Like I, everyone I'm talking to, it's still a behavior that's shifting. You know, it's 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 still also growing here in the U.S. Um, so I mean, they they have yeah. to focus on that. So I don't know if I agree if, if that's the right move or not, but it seems that, that they're doubling down. I, I can commend. I mean, I think. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. I was just going to say, like the last few months have seen a, a rise in in funding for these companies, like Joker. Joker got to a billion within eight months. Uh, Gorillas, Katir. They've been blowing up, right? So I think the the age of like hyper fast local deliveries is is here, and there's no one really doing that in Southeast Asia. So if I, and so Amazon's done a couple of things, right? They they acquired Whole Foods a few years back, and then now they're launching an Instacart uh, equivalent within the next few quarters. Um, I think it's almost a play to do something like that. If they own the grocery chain, they get to own the customers. They also get to own the hyper local delivery experience and have like super fast. 20-minute deliveries for most groceries. Now, doing it in Malaysia, I don't know why, because it's a 30 million market. You know, it's not very big yeah. and purchasing power isn't very high. Um, I wonder if it's like a PR move, because honestly, losing 30 plus percent of your value a week after your spec is pretty terrible. Um, and I like yeah. just just to like pull it back to that commentary on, on valuations, and this is from you know the Grab's biggest fan. Uh, this I, I think what's been happening is that the, the market has been punished. Have you guys been reading any of the reports that are coming out from like uh, any of the trading houses or even just like Seeking Alpha has a, a write-up about them, right? I mean, it's a lot of the stuff we've spoken about before, but predominantly profitability numbers are awful. And second, the EV rev just doesn't make any sense, right? Like if you look at a $35 billion valuation versus the last quarter revenues, that's a 56x EV rev. Uber is trading at 5 <laughs> so yeah, yeah. there's no way you justify 11 times the EV rev of, of Uber and um, unless you have like ridiculous scale benefits but it's an ops heavy business so you're never going to have that ridiculous scale right mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so so I think what you're seeing is an EV rev correction and you know the number's going to get lower but then the question is is there a potential like J curve with uh, grab at somewhat the lower half of that J curve and then slowly trying to get things right, right? If they get groceries right, they get financing right, they've already got this base of customers, can they plug and play all these different pieces and blow up? I think that's a 
at least like at least for me, I think that's a possibility. I think if if the if the number drops even lower, it's time to buy and just hold it for some time. Um, but that's my thoughts. Yeah, I, I had a couple of thoughts. So I'm I'm with you uh, on a couple of things and not with you on some other ones. So basically, the grocery thing, I agree with you. Buying like a grocery chain in Malaysia doesn't actually make sense to me. Like if we're, if we're playing that game, why not buy it in like Indonesia or Thailand or Vietnam? Something that has a bit more scale. So 100. But I don't think your I don't think the analogy of Amazon versus um, Grab like Amazon Whole Foods and Grab Jai grocery actually makes a lot of sense in this case, right? Because if you think about it, you know Grab already owns a lot of those like consumer relationships i don't i don't think buying jaya grocer is going to acquire as like a customer acquisition strategy is going to acquire them that many more customers than they already have right and second of all i you know vis-a-vis the delivery thing yeah i agree that delivery is super important but i don't think you need to buy the grocery chain itself to like really scale that business right i mean they're paying i did a quick math on this like so they're paying like uh somewhere basically between like eight to eleven million us dollars per grocery store Right, if you because you know the deal is between 1.5 to 1.8 billion ringgit. Uh, Jaya Grocer has around 40, I believe, stores at this point. So you just convert it to USD and do the math. It's somewhere between like 8 to 11, right? Um, and then when Amazon purchased Whole Foods, they basically do the same calculation. They basically paid somewhere around like 30 million USD uh, per per store. I think, but the, the key difference here is a couple things. Number one, obviously, American consumers are a lot more profitable. And number two. Yeah, number two, Amazon's cost of capital is super, super, super low versus Grab's cost of capital, which oh, is yeah. extraordinary. I mean, especially now, it's like extraordinarily high. So, I mean, of course, I'm sure this deal was negotiated and he started talking about this like months ahead of time. And so it wasn't just like, you know, if you did the last week and we're, we're announcing, but like buying or using the capital in this way uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me if I was sitting in Grab's shoes. So- so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw two facts out. One is, and this is obviously anecdotal, it's personal experience, but Jaya Grocer for me has the best like grocery buying experience online of mm-hmm. any other player yeah. in Malaysia, right? It's it's fast, the assortment is massive. And like they actually deliver within 15, 20 minutes where I was living in, in Malaysia. So in that sense, like I use them a lot more than I did other players. Two is can I actually- ask you, think, Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Were they, was it Jaya Grocer's own thing or were they using like Happy Fresh or a third-party player? It was Jaya Grocer's own thing. Hmm. Okay. Okay. It was the own thing. Uh, number one. Number two is like, um, I actually think this is a play into the whole Gorillas, Gatir space. Like Gatir started this whole movement of like, so to be honest, like six years ago, even when I was at Lazada, we were trying to play with this idea of hyper-local, hyper-fast deliveries, 15 minutes for all products, right? That's like mm-hmm. the end goal. The, the, the holy grail of e-commerce is infinite yeah. assortment, 15 minutes, you know, yep. right? Never three days or seven days or however long it takes, right? And I think that all different business models in e-commerce will triangulate towards that. Like Shein's doing one variant of it with like just-in-time manufacturing. Then you have like Amazon trying to do the everyday shop, but with this hub and spoke model with micro hubs and micro spokes as well. And then you've got the Getir Gorillas joker, 15 minutes, dark stores, dark kitchens delivery model, right? Um, sure. And, and I think like in Southeast Asia right now, there's been a couple of funding rounds, specifically in Indonesia, but also in Vietnam for companies that are trying to do the 15 minute delivery thing. And I think this is a preemptive move to say if 15 minute delivery is going to blow up and there's going to be, let's say, you know, somewhere between five to $10 billion of VC funding rushing into these markets. How about we spin off and create our version of it uh, up ahead, right? So it's a preemptive strike in my opinion. Um, now, the question is, can you take that model and port it? Like, 
Speaking from experience, we tried to do that with Redmart, weren't very successful because there's a lot yeah. of things you need to get right with cold chain logistics. You need to get the operational staff being able to manage soft stuff like vegetables. It's it's not the same kind of business model. It's actually pretty complex. Um, and then like, you know, it, it doesn't scale to a marketplace model. Once you start serving a single large customer like Jaya Grocer, you can't really add on new customers with the same kind of cold chain logistics or uh, internal, say, mid-fleet logistics, right? Like last mile, first mile, maybe you can, but mid-fleet, what do you do? Like when the stuff yeah. misses the cold chain. So it starts to get a bit tricky. Um, but if they can, uh, but we've had this discussion before that they are behemoth that's quite slow to, to move around, right? So if we don't think they are nimble enough to take that and port it, then that's a fundamentally a, a non-synergistic acquisition, right? Yeah. Um but, but hopefully they get it right. If anything, this this sheer drop in, I mean, if nobody's shaking at a 30% drop in your share price two weeks post equity, I think this was would probably be a wake-up call to start shaping up internally within the company um, mm. and ideally be a bit of a, of a catalyst for change, right? Yeah. I would hope so. I mean, just anecdotally, actually. Sorry, just one thing. Like, actually, it's very clear in Malaysia what the shift is. Again, anecdotal evidence, but like I've been trying to get grabs. I've been taking grabs around the last couple of days, and like the supply outside of KL is almost non-existent. Like uh, I was in Bansar, so which is like a suburb of KL, uh, at lunchtime today, and I tried to get just a cab to go from there back to my office in downtown KL, and I waited for like fifteen minutes, which is kind of unheard of, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I clearly you can again anecdotal, but like based on that, you can sort of see where they're really shifting their focus. Uh, sorry, Alex, you're gonna say something. Oh no! I was just going to say. I mean, the the devil's advocate to buying giant grocer is that it's uh, they 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 need to start in a smaller market, and it was much easier for probably Anthony to have all the connections in Malaysia already. Like we're talking like lifetime of connections here, and um, yep. it's like it's like an MVP, right? So you you got this. It's Asia is like this. It's very fragmented, and you got to test it out, build a playbook, and then see if it can port or not. And it may not necessarily port over to other markets either, right? And um, just just like their finance and banking too, right? It's just not going to be. Yeah an easy play like that. So, but you know, I think it's just testing the waters and learning and maybe they go for acquisition later if it doesn't work out. I mean, also look at their happy fresh play, right? That's kind of a weird that they have Grabmart and happy fresh. Um, and now, now they're doing Jaya grocer, right? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is, uh, this MVP is 10% of what you raised, <laughs> give true. or take. It's like yeah. eight, 9% yeah, yeah. of what you raised. Very expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> this is, this is really well, expensive MVP, you know? Well, it just, it just shows their conviction that they need to double down to pivot away from rideshare. Rideshare, I think, you know, that in their decks and stuff, they say it's growing a lot, but it's, it's limited to your supply growth, which is car ownership and also your demand. I think demand's going to be there, but fundamentally infrastructure is not changing. So you always will have low fulfillment and, you know, it's just demand will always outstrip it, but it's just limited, right? It's very constrained kind of core and they need to pivot to, to things like delivery and other things like think, that that can have higher, you know, uh, capacity utilization, right? I think, Alex, if you look at, uh, if you look at their uh, Q3 uh, earnings and the whole focus is essentially on deliveries, different kinds yeah. of deliveries. Um, I spoke with a few investors who, who are looking at the different parts of the business of, of Grab and, uh, and I think I think for, for right heading, everyone agrees that you are going to make a positive margin for that. Uh, but uh, but but what people are sort of uh, not sure about is that if you can raise the margins or grow the market, so so basically, no. oh, 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 are you going to be stuck with a very very incremental growth for the next few years? And mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree agree with you that the notion that um, that okay buying buying a supermarket which is doing well in Malaysia sort of uh, allows them to 
to learn how to do how to do the supermarket because because they're, they're doing supermarket they're doing the dark stores in, in many places and um and i think i, I think the difference uh, between this and red mart is that uh, i mean first i think the volume is probably harder in red mart when red mart was uh, was acquired and the second is that it has um, it had offline um, presence so 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 so, so essentially it would be something like Alibaba with Herma, right? I mean, you would have uh, different touch points, and uh, and you would have the ability to 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 experiment how how you integrate this into your into your um, customer base and your sort of a fulfillment ecosystem. So 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 it's a question mark whether they can figure it out, but um, but but I. I, I I wouldn't write it off. I think I think it's an interesting attempt. So it'd be difficult to integrate, but uh, let's see what they can. Um, well, well, that well that being said, let's let's talk about the, the the tougher stuff that the analysts bring up in all of their you know analysis and you know uh, all the reports. Right, uh, the bad stuff is that there's no distinguishable moat, and every single pillar they're they're kind of pushing into is now going to have very fierce competition. Right from finance, which is very fragmented with the banks and also the other financial players. Even Shopee has pay, right? Uh, food, even, you know, aside the traditional players like Food Panda, you have Shopee doing food and they're, they're going back to discount wars, right? Uh, Rideshare, I, like I said, I think to me, it's limited incremental growth. It's just the, the nature of the region. It's not going to be like America that's very developed or a big, you know, big market like China where uh, strong, infrastructure, strong infrastructure, strong government, and then it's just a big market, right? I think it's not like that in Southeast Asia. Uh, and then, you know, incentives is, is has to be baked into the cost. You know, it's, it's, I talk to a lot of drivers in the U.S., a lot of new drivers in Las Vegas, and they're making a lot of money only because of incentives. And then I, I talked to the guy who's struggling after he got off incentives. He says he's like dying. He's like working nonstop 12, 15 hours a day trying to make ends meet. Uh, but, but, you know, but you know, all the new drivers, you know, they, they're happy because they think they're making a lot of money easily. But once that stops, you know, I think it's the same thing in, in Asia. So um, I don't know if there's, you know, all, all these fronts, it's going to be tough. Do you, do you guys think uh, this is going to be, you know, Going to suppress Grab's stock price further. Uh, competitors will take over. Do you think Grab has a fighting chance to to dominate in some of these uh, pillars that they're focusing on? Ooh, I mean, it's it's a tough question. I think a lot of it also depends on what else happens in the um, capital markets in the next couple of months, right? Because we still have like one or two big IPOs potentially that are left that are very relevant to the space. Specifically, time will go to right. So. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and we talked about this like a few weeks, like last time, I think, like, I think like my point is like, if go to, I mean, this, I struggle with this because on one level, I really do want them to do well, if only just yeah. for the sake of the ecosystem, right? I think this is like mm -hmm. a big deal. It's yeah. a bellwether deal for the region. And like, this is going to be the benchmark and how people are going to look at the region for a long time. And, you know, I, yeah. on that metric, I, of course, I want them to do well, but I, you know, in my perspective, I think there's a lot of like these really core structural changes or structural challenges that, that they face that they don't necessarily, I don't see them having very clear answers for. Right. And so they do have a lot of money. Uh, but I mean, if you're blowing through like, what was it like 900 million a quarter or something like that was their yeah. last three results. I mean, I know some of that was like uh, financial stuff. So it's not like, uh, it's not going to be recurring, but I mean, let's just, let's just call it what it is. They're spending like 400 million, a quarter on subsidies, right? Mm -hmm. And into and they're going into an increasingly more competitive environment, as you've mentioned. You know, Shop has a lot of money. Uh, GoTo will raise a bunch of money theoretically, and they're going to probably reignite or start competing again 
along that vector. So it's for me, it's a tough road. It's going to be a really tough road for the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe GoTo has the right strategy where they just focus on one giant market. It could be a very big company itself in Indonesia alone, right? Um, it, it maybe just maybe end up being fragmented. You know, things things were moving towards uh, everyone uh, coming together and merging, but maybe, maybe it goes back to the nature of the geography and the markets. Maybe it ends up being more fragmented market in the future. Do you guys think that's possible? I think I think Alex. I mean, um, I, I I don't believe that uh, that Indonesia alone is able to to sustain the, the valuation of either Grab or or. Or go to. Um, I mean, if currently, you, yes. If you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, if you wait, wait for ten years, you can do the calculation. I mean, five five, five years uh, annual growth. I mean, how much will you end up in ten years time? But uh, yeah. But but if, but if you if if you look at Grab, I, I think I think a lot of what they do in Indonesia is is being sub- subsidized by what they do in Singapore, in Malaysia, and to a certain extent in Thailand. Um. Uh, so, yeah. so 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 so. So one one number you look at Grab's Q3 uh, results is the is the n- number of transacting users twenty five million. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean uh, how many how, how many people in Southeast Asia would have access to a smartphone and how many people are transacting on a, on Grab on a monthly basis? I, I think there's a huge discrepancy, which means that I th- I, I I think in in in, in many aspects the, the market is not there yet. I mean if you look at some of the some of the movements of Grab recently, right? I mean, I mean, they, they, they are they, they are doing certain things to to target differentiated markets because because um, they probably realize that I mean, I mean, it's um, it's a market that it, that that that, that it, you can no longer just uh, just turn to to grow and capture. You need to have differentiated service to capture different different parts of the market because their their consumption power, their consumption habits will be different. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. And, um, anyone want to say maybe something positive again for Grab, or maybe what's the secret that they're going to hit before we move on? I mean, not positive for Grab, but let's put it this way: there's again, if you're an external investor trying to invest in Southeast Asia, there's very few places to invest in, and they're one of the leading players in the pack, right? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of positives from this, like even with the share price where it is, a bunch of Grab, uh, you know. Management is going to get out and become angel investors or get out, start their own businesses or their VC funds. So I think it's great for the ecosystem. But then on top of that, it's news for Southeast Asia, right? It mm-hmm. creates more opportunities for more investments. If it's not grab uh, other companies to figure out what to do um, better. Um, I'm just going to comment a little bit on this idea of fragmentation. I think in South, Southeast Asia and, and German you know, you also look at South America a fair bit. There's always parallels between these two places because you have this one large uh country that takes away most of the market share and interest in VC uh, uh, heat, right? That being said, um, different markets are starting to, but but in these big markets, you're purely playing the demographic dividend, which is like there's young people who need specific services so we can build this ops heavy models. But then you look at the heavy hitters coming out of Vietnam, Axie Infinity, all this weird crypto token play to end games. Um, that's just YGG, it's just blowing up, right? Um, so I think there will be these interesting opportunities coming out of other markets that will allow like slightly different business models to evolve. Uh, and then with specific for this op savvy model, go to Grab. We're going to continue that war in, in Indonesia, but Grab has a foothold in all the others. So it, even if it has an ex-Indonesia story, not too bad. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Grab and Shopee are at uh, advantageous um, point compared to go to. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you guys follow what uh, what was discussed at uh, at the Reuters conference this month? 
No, let me let so us know. So I see though that there was one partner from Golden Gate Ventures saying that uh, saying that I think uh, the valuation in Southeast Asia has become irrational, and uh, and that triggered off like the whole whole discussion because because I mean now if you look at I mean the fundraising uh, news for the last few weeks, I mean eighty million, thirty million, hundred million is like a I mean, it happens like almost every day. And uh, if you look at some of the new funds being raised by VCs, I think Alpha GFC is having what, 500 million? Yeah. And next fund? It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. So. Well, I, I, think, I think fundamentally and, and historically, uh, things are overvalued. But I also feel that uh, we are looking at a new paradigm. VC is just getting bigger as an asset class. And thus, you know, what was, you know, normal small seeds get inflated, A's get inflated, everything is just shifting up. Uh, and of course, with that comes noise. And I think there's going to need to be a correction. Um, but uh, I think it's essentially what we're looking at is a new world where there's just more money. So they, they, there's less deals chasing it. Uh, what happens is we need more people building, I think. Uh, and and I think um, there, the over, overvalued is kind of true. I was, I was talking to one of my friends in New York. Uh, he was just visiting. I, I won't say where he's from, but his company had raised over... Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I don't want to say what's this. There's only a few people out there, right? But um, And it's kind of scary. He was telling me that a lot of these companies actually don't have substance in it, but they have the ability to raise, right? And I think what we're seeing in the in the coming coming years is is you know a lot of a lot of these guys who have raised are going to have to close shop and I, I don't know if it goes with you know the downturn of the markets or not, but there's a lot of people who have been able to capture a lot of money without actually it's all top line. And then now it's a very just kind of big struggle to see, you know, see like, you know, can we can we somehow monetize it? And uh, a lot of these guys, I think, are not going to be able to do that. Um, some will, but it's it's uh, I don't know how that's going to affect the market, right? I mean, but this this is this is like the thing, right? And this is I think what really, you know, a couple a couple months ago we had like this whole conversation about one FC, and I was thinking, and I, I think I was you know pretty bearish on the company, and I was just. You know, after that conversation, I was trying to understand like why it was that I was so, you know, kind of down on on the business, and I, I think I finally like honed in on what it is. And it's like this is what exactly I mean. Like in this environment, right? You have a company that goes out there uh, and you raise a ton of money, and you're completely overvalued. And it's not even like you know, Facebook in like 2008 or something, right? Where they had a business and they just yeah. raised some more money to like, carry them through a Correct. potential winter. Right, so there was actually some fundamentals there. This is purely, you know, a, a kabuki, right? But then the problem is, is like there's human beings involved in this process, right? You have to go hire people, and then you have to fire people, and there's consequences to what we do, right? Like, of course, you know, we can sit here, we can make arguments like, oh, caveat emptor, you know, no one's forcing to work at this company, and everyone understands that startups fail and and all that, all that sort of stuff, right? But like, you know, I just I think at a certain point as an investor, as an operator, there needs to be some sense of responsibility and some accountability oh, okay. for, every, for everyone involved. At right? a fiduciary I, level, yeah. I, I agree with you on the investor level. Not even fiduciary level, but, like a moral level. Like, how do you treat other human beings? Like, maybe I'm getting I, off. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, right? Yeah. I mean, I know this is not like a, that kind of podcast, but like, you know, like, I don't know about you, but I've laid off a lot. I've fired a lot of people when I was a rocket. Okay. And it is... Okay. It's hard. It's hard doing that, but it's obviously, and also I'm saying this as a person who's generally off from the financial crisis myself. It, it's difficult both ways, right? And I just don't. 
Yeah. When I see this kind of stuff, or when I hear about this kind of stuff, where like you're just where someone's kind of nakedly telling you that you've raised a bunch of money that they have no business or they had no business raising or at evaluation, and we know what's going to happen because they're VC funded, they're going to go out and hire a bunch of people because they have to spend the money or that's what their mandate is, and then they're going to burn through all their cash because that's again that's the mandate. Oh, okay. So, oh, I'll, and then, I'll then what, if you lay off like. 80 people or 100 people or like 80% of who will be hired. A lot of these companies have like at this point, you know, hundreds of people for sure. But um, I'll take the devil's yeah. advocate for that. I'll, I'll take the counter. Like I think for a lot of the business that we did um, when it got too big, a lot of the guys who were further down the chain. Yes, that's very bad for them. But say for like us, like, well, we got another job. And a lot of these guys, and like I know the salaries that they're paying for these companies who raise a lot of money. They work there for, dude, this, could, this game can last for a few years. You know, they could keep raising rounds and, you know, you build a career, you fail forwards, right? You take higher salaries, more equity in the next round. The guys at the mid and top, they're going to be fine. Of course, like morally from a fiduciary, you know, from an investor standpoint, that's just not fiscally responsible. Um, I think a portion of the employees are going to be fine. But yeah, a portion of them, it is pretty bad. I, I think we've all been in that spot where we had to, let go of people. It is really ugly and it is morally wrong. I would agree if you, if you know, if you're just being reckless without thinking. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not like everyone, a lot of these people, even like at the top or in the middle of, they know the game. A lot of them are playing the game too. Right. Which, you know, leads to the whole financial engineering kind of thing that, that we've been talking about, you know, like subtly across a few episodes too. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I, with you with you. I, I, sorry, sorry, just one, one thing, John. I, I think like maybe the top 5% of the business knows what's actually happening. And then the other 95%, I don't think they do. Like, I have seen so many companies do this where, mm. you know, they just shut down an office overnight. There's no communication to the regional, to like the, the country that's local okay. team. Yeah, yeah, that's true, you know, that's true. the regional team basically yeah. just fucks off. Right? Well, there was... and they, they screw over all the employees, they screw over a lot of the vendors that the, that are old money, yeah, right? right? And then right. the senior guys, you know, they take their director fees and then they fly first class to Bali for a month to unwind <laughs> the first stressful fucking thing. And then they go do the next thing. It's ridiculous. I mean, come what, on, what was, what was the company that, that recently fired? I'm not, I don't want to name it. Better. Oh, better. Better. That was ridiculous. Okay, but like... It was ridiculous. I don't think any of us have ever done anything that level. Like you have to do it face to face at least, right? That, that's, so, that's just yeah. That's you, just, you, I, I, okay, so so can, can we separate two things here? Like, so first, yeah. low EQ styles of firing is terrible. I think we can all universally agree, right? And just being yeah. a dick is is not a good idea, right? So I think we all agree on that. Now, whether or not you are putting your heart and your soul into uh, a company after fundraising, and you're just going because at the end of the day, I think people even if they're not interested in the greater good of the world, are also interested in saving their own internal egos and making sure there's a good narrative behind, you know, something that they're working on, as opposed to just, you know, I raised a bunch of money and then I messed up, right? Oh, yeah, what I, sorry? Easy yeah. To yeah. That. Easier to believe that, but, you know, anybody who does a bit of DD can figure things out, right? Um, but but to this point on VC, like, look, I think the, the VC model where a lot of money can be raised by companies that have questionable metrics or questionable product market fit or even questionable strategy or um, like it's, it's terrible from a classical point of view, right? Like in the, in, in, you know, pre 
pre-1980s, if you had an idea, you had to find a way to make it profitable and then scale that idea, right? Now you can be unprofitable for years or never even have to make any revenues and somehow get acquired, aka what WhatsApp did, right? Um, now, the question then is, does it make sense to allow these companies to continue to run the way that they do and is there value in it? And I think one thing the VC model does is it allows people the ability to make mistakes more so than traditional companies can and therefore get closer to product market fit and providing some kind of utility um, and, and it gives them a runway to get to that utility, right? Now, at the end of the day, whether or not the product is, you know, actually utilitarian for whatever it does, that's quest- like something we can debate for hours. But I think what it does is it creates the opportunity for them to make those mistakes. If you couldn't make those mistakes, a lot of people wouldn't have wild, crazy ideas and be able to fundraise. Today, I just get the case in point. This morning, I'm speaking to an investor, like, uh, like an entrepreneur with an idea that honestly is maybe three years away from monetization. It's an edutech idea. It's pretty cool what they're trying to do. But I don't think they'll be fi- able to figure out mo- the monetization model so quickly, right? In the traditional world, they would die after six months because they yeah. would run out of money. But they live right. in a universe today where a guy who's passionate about education gets to meet a bunch of angels and VCs and get enough funding to run a sustainable business for two to three years before figuring out monetization. It's almost like R&D for scientists and grants. We're almost giving creators, artists, and scientists money, except in this case, they are the startups. Can I just say one comment? Sure. Like, uh, you, so, so, so you said something very interesting, and let, let, let me explain the game, right? So you, you're right. You raise money up to the point where the valuation is big enough to be acquired. So that's where my friend is at. If he raises one more round, they can't be acquired anymore. They're, they're like, they actually have to make it work. Kind of like what we're seeing what's happening with Grab, right? If you go beyond a certain point, you actually have to make it come true. Now, if you, you know, if you raise $100 million, $200 million, you know, if you could still be, uh, you know, the valuation is maybe what, five, half a billion, six, six, seven hundred billion. Maybe a, there's only a handful of guys who can buy you out. And I, so like, a lot of these guys are struggling to get to the point to do a buyout because they know that like the risk is so high that this, it might not clear market. Dude, so dude, I, around, I disagree, I disagree I that they need say, to make it work. They, who do they need to make it work for? You know, the problem is, right? The principal agent problem, like the problem is it's broken everywhere your friend for example is raising from vcs who truthfully don't care if your friend succeeds right they care if one of the companies in their portfolio succeeds right it doesn't matter if it's your friend or it isn't right if your friend fails they've got 99 others and one of those 99 needs to succeed right so the incentives are misaligned in multiple levels vcs are investing like if your friend raises from tiger at i don't know at a unicorn valuation right tiger still doesn't care because they have 10 others that could potentially succeed right so so the buck stops at public markets which means as long as it's within private and secondary markets everybody's like you you can fail and then your guys have a nice little thing to carry on their cv and go get well, which, which is why, like, unless you're at the very top, or maybe say, say you're just a co-founder, not at the top, the incentive is for you to cash out as soon as possible, right? And then you're not building value. You're not like, you know, it's you're you're again part of the machine in the game, right? So it's like you said, you, the incentives are they're not aligned. That's really bad for for a company in terms of long-term fundamental, you know, value-building exercise, right? So mm. yeah. Okay. Any any closing comments before we move on, guys? Jangan, you didn't say anything about this. What's what's your take on all this? Or Dave, I was trying to figure. I was trying to figure out my Wi-Fi, but 
Welcome to I, I mean, I'm so used to Singapore Wi-Fi anyway, so... Uh, um, hey, hey, Wi-Fi and KL is fine, right? I'm in KL. You can Wi-Fi, see how they have lives. Wi-Fi in Pavilion Hotel in KL is not fine. Okay, as, yeah. Wi-Fi as in as London as well. sucks. London needs to get their shit together. The West needs to get their shit together. The West needs to get their shit together. Too much yeah. lobby. Anyway, Alex, uh, just... just just one comment about uh, about the firing part, right? I mean, uh, I think first um, we'll have done some firings in our life and uh, and multiple times, and uh, I mean, it's it's never been easy. Uh, whatever we have uh, we have burned at Rocket compared to whatever the companies are sort of offering people now, it w- was quite modest to be honest. <laughs> so, yes, so, I agree. So on, on the one hand, I was uh, also reflecting about Dave's point about, I mean, sort of the duty to the people who sort of fight with you who are in a trenches mm-hmm. and who believe in the dream. Um, I, I think looking back, and I, th- I think the people who were damaged the most during this exercise were, were the people who were sort of um, put into a uh, compensation or a, a role that, that they were clearly not capable of, or at least at that, that point in time. So, so you have, mm-hmm. you have, you have, you have people like running customer service who, who are sort of raised to be head of customer service or head of operations with like you know mm-hmm. one year customer service experience. You you pay them like three or four times the, the market salary, and I, I see lots of these people uh, after this high and uh, and uh, and after they, they they get retrenched, they find it very very hard to adjust back to normal life and to align mm-hmm. their ex- expectations. Um, I do see that happening at at um, I mean in the past happening at all levels of. Uh, of rocket companies, right? I mean, people sort of yeah. look back and say, "Hey, hey, I've had high, and uh, where do I go next?" And it's very difficult for them to adjust back. And and I, I just, I mean, this is something I feel particularly bad because, uh, because I think lots of these people are very capable. They they were just elevated to a position, which which no. would otherwise take them, I mean, at least half a year more, or one year more, or even two years more to to to, to reach. And, uh, and 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 now you put them there, and that they they can't find a way out of this sort of psychologically or otherwise. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. I, I think if this one thing I could think of after listening to all of this is like, someone needs to, like if you're a VC or if you're an investor, you need to think about the morals of this. And that's definitely missing in a lot of the conversations and, and, and discussions. That's massively important, especially if this ecosystem gets with more money coming in, that's just going to cause more problems with a lot of bad actors going forward. So um, shall we move on? Yeah, let's let's move on. I feel like this has been a bit of a tangent. I mean, <laughs> okay, I think that was good. Okay, uh, so uh, I guess we'll we'll briefly talk about. I mean, we've talked about this before, which is uh, at least different parts of it. The metaverse. Uh, I guess now everyone's metaverse, web, right? Web three right? We've talked about crypto NFTs. a little bit. In fact, uh, three of us have invested in the same uh, crypto company. Apparently, Andrew had some yum yums didn't share. He's invested in like a hundred more crypto companies after us. <laughs> Dude, y'all need to come to Art Basel. You know, t- big takeaway: Art Basel is where it's at, guys. I went there, and now I'm a convert. NFTs, blockchain, DeFi. Like I mentioned, what, what did you what did you invest in? Tell us. What did you invest All right. in? All right. So 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 before getting into what I invest in, like. The the, sh- the shocker for me was how Art Basel isn't about art anymore and it's all about NFTs and blockchain, right? So everyone there is trying to get into selling their art as digital art instead of physical art. Uh, but but what's really cool, okay, so check it. Here is an incredible business model uh, that I discovered when I was there. There's a guy uh, I, who helped a rapper launch 
a million albums as, as copyright protected NFTs, right? Each album was sold for a dollar. So the rapper said rapper achieved a million dollars in sales. Um, same rapper would probably make only 50,000 a year on Spotify because that's the average income an artist makes on mm. Spotify. So it's 2000 X the annual income of an artist on Spotify by cutting out the record labels, the entertainment moguls, the managers, the talent agencies, and everyone in between, right? So I think I think Web3 is going to blow up uh, two things, right? One is, so first of all, if we take a step back, I'm not so crazy on the speculative uh, on the speculative asset front because that's just hoping some other idiot buys it from you at a more expensive price than the price you bought it at. But what I'm interested in is productive uses of NFTs, blockchains, DeFi in the real world that we live in, right? So this is a perfect example of a guy who is removing um, that middle layer that takes away so much from creators, right? And it can make you already envision a world where YouTube, Patreon, Spotify exists in a decentralized way that allows creators to make lots of money, right? So that's like one big angle. The second, the second thing that I, at least like I'm excited about is this interaction between every week now I'm receiving a deck from a startup that's trying to do an Axie Infinity equivalent. This one, I'm still a bit on the fence because, okay, like I, I hate to break it out this way, but whoever thinks Axie Infinity is just a game is confused and and lying to the, either confused or lying to themselves. Axie Infinity is a casino on steroids, right? Except the chips have been replaced with cute little figurines. That's it. You basically pay money to get these little, you know, little Pokemon looking things. And then you use those things to play. And then maybe you win more of that. It's basically gambling, right? This, this world that we live in where we're calling it play to earn and pay to play to earn or play to pay to earn. Uh, basically is just another way to have legal casinos built on blockchains, right? This one a bit less excited about, but that being said, we can't avoid the fact that it's going to blow up and be a several hundred billion dollar industry in the next like two to three years, right? This whole like, gaming meets metaverse meets nfts as a unique way of creating scarcity uh that's going to blow up let's, sorry go ahead yeah, let's take a step yeah. back and maybe dave you could explain what is your understanding of what is the metaverse for our audience and what does that encompass oh i think you should explain it and then because i have a point about this and, and I okay think all right i'll, I'll try it. i'll try point. Yeah. Right, so like Web Web 2.0, which is like what we've been seeing for the past decade, right? It's just all all the internet services, uh, marketplace, e-commerce, everything we know as it is. Web 3.0 sure. uh, encompasses a few different things. Uh, you know, kind of like what we talked about with crypto and what Andrew was talking about, uh, NFTs and finance. You know, basically allows you to put memory assets and ownership natively on the web. So, so you don't require. Uh, you could do everything decentralized. Uh, there's also the component of AR and VR, which is the actual physical blending of digital and the real world right you know uh, with vr the question is you know do you always are do people go further deeper into fully digital life you know and then there's also ars like how do we interact with the world that's augmented right so this and then there's this idea that uh, there's a persistent cultural shift that we're seeing you know especially with covid where people are living more in a digital life so with remote work uh working from home Right. You pretty much are just working on your computer all the time. And that's your digital community and your digital space. And so what it is, it's this, this whole putting everything all together, all these kind of different pillars. And it's a blending of reality and digital world. 
and then uh, the, essentially that's what you know combined. It's it's the the meta you, you sit inside the metaverse. And one of the other arguments, you know, uh, there might be a, a bunch of different metaverses, which would be more of the multiverse, which we could discuss. You know, what do you think? It's more of a metaverse or more of a multiverse? And then how does this kind of shape out? Um, Dave, what, what is your point? Can, can I take a step to like twist your 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 uh, your definition a bit more? Go, so go if, like, we take a step back, right? So Web 1.0 was the origin of the internet with dial-up and it was pretty much served only one way. You were the consumer and then there was a site where you could get information from, right? So that's Web 1.0. Web 2.0 was when users were able to create content. And so we saw the rise of Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, and all these like massive social networks. And the network effects of this were big enough. But what happened then was several companies became um, tax collectors and in effect monopolies that were able to become gargantuan controllers of the highways where the information was passing, even though that information was yours and you were creating into that, right? It saw the death of news publishing. It saw the death of, of papers. It saw the death of a lot of traditional forms of things that we took for granted in the 90s, right? But then, but then you know, that's Web 2.0. Web 3.0 is an attempt to take the best parts of Web 1.0, where there was no big monopoly holders, and the best parts of 2.0, that is a two-way creation street, uh, and create a way for creators and individuals to own their rights, right? So the idea would be, could you create entities where creators get rewarded for what they're doing, where individuals get to own their data, there's more privacy, there's more decentralization as a way of, of reneging control. It so happens that the technology to create Web 3.0 started with the crypto revolution, and we're starting to see that. But, but right now, what's interesting is several non-related things are happening at the same time, right? Which is one, you have this crypto revolution, which is a way for people to own their data, to be more autonomous, to be more decentralized, and not to have central control. At the same time, you have this rush towards AR, VR, and this massive blow up of gaming in the last two to three years. And then, on the third side, you have, um, you know, this idea of 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 um, how do you define ownership, which is kind of weird, but that's also almost a derivative of the of the two, right? In this metaverse or in in the internet, theoretically, you can create infinite copies of anything. But then, if there was a way to create scarcity, then you could create pricing and have you know the same effects that you would do in high high end luxury fashion, which is what's happening as a result of these two. So we're seeing a convergence of these things, but but ultimately, it's like crypto blockchain, AR VR. And then what can you do with scarcity economics? See, I think you actually brought up a really interesting point, Andrew, because in all of my readings and, and understanding of metaverse, decentralization versus centralization is actually has not been a core component. So I do I do think we should have this conversation about like what we actually mean when we say metaverse, because I do think there are uh, a bunch of floating definitions out there and there, there's not necessarily like a clear consensus on what everyone means when they say metaverse right and so so wh where i was going to go actually is like so have you guys heard of matthew ball i know alex you probably have because i've told you about him of course you love him yeah did you did you read his i, I love this, nine uh, this when i come awesome. back i'm gonna yeah. go deep i'm gonna go deep when i get back yeah, did, you, but, yeah. did you read his thirty-three thousand word magnum opus on the metaverse it's incredible it's incredible it's incredible i, rec it's incredible. I, I recommend agree. everyone on this to read it yes I, I agree with you. So just for, for the audience, if you guys are interested in, in media, digital media, metaverse, the future of gaming, movies, TV, whatever, do us a favor, go to Matthew Ball's website. He is, in my opinion, like one of the leading 
uh, leading thought leaders, second term, leading minds, yeah. Leading minds that writes about the subject. He's excellent. He was head of Amazon Studios, blah, 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 great credentials, but just also just like very clear thinker. And all his pieces are like 10,000 words. So it's a bit of an investment, but like if you're just into the topic, go read his shit and it's, it's time well spent. Anyway, so to where I was going to go, right? So in preparation for this, I actually went back and I reviewed some of Matthew Ball's work. And Matthew Ball actually has a really interesting definition of what the metaverse is, or he has these characteristics of what uh, defines the metaverse. I'm, I'm just going to go through those real quick, right? So the number one is it's, it's a persistent world. So pretty self-explanatory. Number two, it needs to be synchronous and live, right? Number three, there cannot be any cap of concurrent users, right? So there's no, there's no, it's not like Fortnite where it's like a hundred users max, right? There is no concurrent cap. Uh, number four, it needs to have a fully functional economy, right? Uh, number five, it needs to be an experience that spans both the physical and digital worlds, right? Mm -hmm. um, number six, it needs to offer unprecedented inoperability or interoperability, sorry. Uh, yeah. And then number seven, it needs to be, and this is what you're kind of getting at, Andrew, it needs to be populated by content experiences created by uh, the users, right? So if we take this definition of the, what the metaverse is, right, uh, it actually already exists. It's just called the internet. That's the question. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's take no, a step okay, back. Okay, it's, not, it's not the same as the internet. I think the closest we've had to what he describes as, as the metaverse is Fortnite, the game, right? So if you think about this, the it's the largest game by number of people playing it. And the way it works is it's a persistent world, right? Everybody clues into the same map, whether it doesn't matter what time you clock in, whether you, what time you clock out, that game continues to exist. It's synchronous in life. It's close to a lifelike experience, right? In the sense that you have an avatar there, your avatar gets to wear clothes and do dance moves, et cetera. And and there's no real cap. I mean, you know, millions of people can play on this at the same time. It doesn't really have a fully functioning economy. It's an experience that arguably does not span digital and physical. So that's where it stops his definition. Um, and yeah. and it has some interoperability. Well, one second, one second. What's happening though in Fortnite, which is really interesting, is this bridging of content and experiences, right? It's not just about going there with a the gun and shooting some people. They're starting to create events. Marshmallow had a concert there. Uh, you know, they, they had this massive black hole event where they actually stopped people from playing just to launch a new series and new characters. Now The Rock has a character there. Like, so they're creating these like in-world experiences. C Group, I'm just going to go sideways, has done the same thing. So they have a couple of games where they've actually had in-game live DJ performances and, uh, you know, celebrities from Brazil show up inside the game for the Brazilian players, right? So, so the metaverse for me is closer to, if anybody has watched Ender's Game, it's this persistent 3d world where you get to play in it now what's happening there is one you 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 have the vr version of it but you also have the potential for ar right meaning could you create layers of things that overlap on the existing world that we uh we have using these glasses that snap is producing that facebook is producing that a few others investing in arguably apple's coming out one in two to three years right that will then create this layer of artificial graphics on top of the real world that interact with stuff in your VR world that interact with stuff in the real world, right? For example, think of a piece of graffiti that's on a building, but you can only see that if you have these specific glasses on, right? This is arguably like one part of the metaverse that could 
exists. It's persistent. It's always there. You only see it if you wear your glasses. Now, where it interrelates uh, with the crypto stuff, it, it, there's three things that he mentioned, right? Offers interoperability uh, uh, and has a fully functioning economy. Theoretically, then, like these kinds of artistic products could be scarce and have value associated with that. And that's why like the creation of NFTs and the, and, and like blockchains are able to support some of these uh, metaverse-like uh, goals. Uh, and that's where like the interaction is happening. Yes, but I, I don't I don't think Roblox or sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't think DeFi is a central component to no, not DeFi, NFTs. Not NFT. NFTs will. Right. So 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 what why there's a big investment? Look at C Group making these massive investments in companies that are supporting NFTs. You see a lot of gaming players doing this, YGG is doing this, Axie. Uh, if you look at A16Z's fund that is investing in gaming, a lot of it. And the reason is because loot is what people are chasing in a lot of these games. And the idea of creating false scarcity and interoperability between games could be a reality, right? You could have loot in one game that you carry to another game. How do you create the rarity of that and create prices behind it and a fully functioning economy behind these products, right? For example, right now, there is a blockchain called Loot. Y'all should check this out. Loot blows your mind. It's loot without a game, right? And some of these 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 loots are trading for ridiculous numbers because there's a whole community of creators that's come up around creating like interesting kinds of loot. Um, and so what's going to happen then is theoretically, if I could play, think, think about games, like you could sign up to a platform that has 200 different games, but products and coins and things within those games could go from one to the other, right? And underlying that is an economy that's built off, it could be a central uh, sort of structure to control that, but it's ideally decentralized so that there's interoperability between different types of platforms as well, right? And then you take that out and you can use some of that loot in the real world as you interact with things in the real world. That is the direction the metaverse is going. But that's exactly my point. Like, I think we're actually on the same page because I agree with you. You don't like that ecosystem, that interoperability is core. But then the best example that is, is Roblox. Roblox has, has created an entire ecosystem of just this specifically, but it's not DeFi. It's just centralized and it's controlled by Roblox. And that's my point of contention with you is that I don't necessarily think that the NFT, I mean, I can see clearly, obviously, why that would be beneficial to the ecosystem. But I'm not saying that, that my opinion is that it's not a prerequisite. Yeah, I mean, to, but to actually, me, I, I do. I do have a different. I have a different angle. Oh, sorry, go ahead. yeah, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I do have a different angle and on this, and I, I stole this from someone else, so I'm not being credit for this. So I actually think that the natural on ramp to the metaverse isn't actually gaming. I know gaming is what gets mm -hmm. all the popular attention because that's what's in popular culture, right? That's I mean, uh, what is that? Snow Crash. Snow Crash was. You know, it's a science fi book. It's it's a it's a work of fiction, right? Obviously, Ready Player One. Uh, you have Fortnite. Blah, blah blah blah. These are these are all sort of like the um, hallmark examples of like what the rudimentary form of a metaverse is, right? But if you think about it, if you think about like what the definition of the metaverse is, it's really sort of like this blending between the physical world and the digital world. And this is a lot of like interoperability and tangibility and all that we talked about, right? And if you think about like what that is and like what the, actually the clearest manifestation of that is on our everyday lives, it's not actually gaming. It's just work, right? Like, mm. like work. And I think COVID has really accelerated this. Like when you, people say like, I work from home, you don't actually work from home. You're basically, you work on the internet, right? And the internet 
is you, that can be anywhere, right? And so if you think about it, like I, if you use like Teams or or Google Docs or or whatever, you're essentially kind of logging into like sort of some like yeah. rudimentary form of this, right? So you go in and you have this ecosystem and you have all these collaborators and it's persistent. You can bring it on those you want. And for me, this is sort of like actually the more natural on-ramp for, for a couple of reasons, right? So first of all, you know, the AR VR argument, I think is a really interesting argument because like VR is what, you know, what we define as sort of like, it's an engagement thing. Like you have to be fully immersed into VR for that to, to actually take place, right? Um, but the problem with that is like, you know, in a 24 hour day, you spend eight hours sleeping, eight hours probably working, and then you have six or seven hours left for entertainment. So VR is competing for that six to seven hours of entertainment. That's very difficult because there's a lot of, as we mentioned before, there's a lot of great content out there. You can do a lot of things, blah, blah, blah. However, the eight hours that you have set aside for work, you basically have set aside for work because not much else you can do with that time, right? So that's one. Number two, I think this actually mirrors the adoption of the PC in many ways. If you think about it, like the early adoption of the PC, like in the late 70s, early 80s, it was actually driven by enterprise. Basically, people, like companies saw productivity gains uh, from PCs. So they bought a bunch of PCs for everyone that worked there. Right? And then only then do people actually start using PCs. Then they're like, oh, maybe I want to buy this for my consumer or for my house or for personal use, right? And I think this also kind of ties into the whole COVID thing, right? If we're talking about like the future of work and the future of like commercial real estate to a certain extent, is it cheaper to buy every one of VR headset or is it cheaper to go rent 50,000 square feet somewhere for your entire entire workforce, right? So, so the first argument is basically it's... Um, I mean, it's one's a use case or it's a time argument and two, I'm oh, sorry, I mean, my, my argument's mixed up, right? But it's, it's both like, uh, uh, like it's a use case argument and it's a, I'm blanking now. Okay. So I actually, but anyway, my point is, I think like the actual natural on-ramp for the metaverse is more likely to come from an enterprise angle than, oh, sorry. Addressable market size. That's the last one I forgot. Obviously, the enterprise market size is much larger than the gaming market size, right? So I think for these reasons that the the like the on-ramp is actually enterprise and work, not gaming. Jangan, do you want to comment on how you think the metaverse is unfolding and the different components? Uh, I think I think you already said lots of things. Um, maybe have you guys read this uh, this sci-fi book by a Chinese author called uh, No, the book is called Three Body. Yeah, everything about I've it. I've heard about yeah. it. I've heard about it. She's in you. Yeah, I read it. Yeah, so, 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 so basically, he, he he did a speech uh, about three years ago, um, I think in the US, uh, in his poor English. And, uh, and I think one line in his speech sort of struck me, and it, it sort of it stays with me until this day. And he said, basically, you promised me an ocean of stars, but you actually gave me Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, maybe 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 be too too philosophical. Why don't you unpack that for us? <laughs> yeah, is this is like characters? The thing is, like 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 every week, I'm talking to investors in China, and uh, and 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 the, the the sort of the buzz about metaverse is phenomenal because because in China, TMT, you really don't have anything else to invest in. So so everybody's mm. either going to um sort of uh, what do you call that um chips uh, the uh, 
the 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 energy, a new energy or whatever, and or you go to metaverse. So it's this tremendous amount of interest in metaverse. But 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 when I look at, I mean, I've seen seen a number of business models. I mean, just. I don't know. I mean, if you look at this whole year, and uh, it just doesn't excite me as much as um, as uh, what Bezos or what uh, Branson did this year. So yeah, that's probably my take. Okay, so you, you prefer to go to outer space and then live in the metaverse on Earth? Yeah, kind of. Maybe we're already living in the metaverse, just we don't know about it. Hey, there's this theory. Um, I've heard of this theory that we're actually living in a computer game. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, this, this is this the is the ultimate theory. metaverse. We're a sim. Yeah. Yep. Simulation. Yep. Uh, have you have you heard of this this explanation that uh, that try to sort of uh, look at the Schrodinger's cat? As we observe, it's either alive or dead. We don't observe. Yeah. You don't know whether it's alive or dead, or it's like mm-hmm. it's Schrodinger's like cat. Yeah, in pure mm-hmm. state. And and a person saying that uh, it's like in a computer game, right? I mean. Uh, where you have not fully explored the map, you don't know what is out there. Yep. It's only when you are approaching that point that the program is executed to determine whether there's a the, 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 there's a boss there or not. Am I going a bit too deep? Too deep today, the uh, Jangan's going very philosophical today. <laughs> I, I, I had too much of this food tonight. Yeah. So, <laughs> what is the wine saying? Are you the dead cat <laughs> or the live cat? Yeah. Are we in a sim, Jangan? I think we are probably the same. Yeah. All right. I mean, mathematically, depending on who you believe, we probably are in a sin. Yeah. And that wraps our show for this week. <laughs> You're in a sim. You're in a sim. I'll say one thing. Like, I mean, I think after hearing you know Andrew and, and Dave discuss it, to me, it's just we we have all the building blocks of the metaverse based off you know built off the internet, uh, you know, crypto and and DeFi. This is just part of the economy piece that, you know, Mathaball's definition fits, uh, you know, it just gets further integrated, I think. You know, AR and VR both can exist at the same time. You know, who's to say, you know, you could just log into VR to go to work, right? Or then some people have to work in the physical world. They're going to be plugged in all the time with an AR. I mean, technically our phone is some type of AR, right? Like it's a, we, we use it to it augment AR, everything yeah. we're doing already, right? So, yeah. and that, that just gets further integrated where, the form changes from a phone. We'll have some phone tablet always, but maybe the brain chip in your brain, some projections, like it's sci-fi, right? I mean, like it's going to be persistent yeah. no matter what. And they both can exist at the same time. Uh, so I mean, like the persistence is there, right? So, and then what, like the last piece, like we talked about, the, like Dave says the on-ramp will be work. I mean, that's exactly what COVID did. We're all like pushed yeah. to remote. We're fragmenting micro communities. All of this is just being powered by, by, by the technology that's unfolding. And it's just very early in the game. And then like, you know, if you're a VC, everyone is shifting to having some part of the portfolio in, in, in crypto. You have to, because that's just the economy component of it. Right. So mm. it's something you just really can't avoid at this point. Um, you know, and, and for us, you know, we're doing media, you know, we're going to be part of the guys creating and, and feeding into these platforms that, that proliferate in the future. So I mean, it's it's we're we're, we're more or less there, but it's just got to keep building and integrating to see how it unfolds, I guess. Okay, can I just? Well, let me let me ask you mention to this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think the more interesting question <laughs> that we should ask as a group is like, is this something that we should actually be looking forward to? Because in some in many ways, it's really it's very dystopian, right? Like w- what we're talking about. Uh, I think, I think that's you, know, you know, you know, like you know, this is you know, in the spirit of being extremely existential and philosophical, and I'll take you on this, Jangan, and take what Dave just said and combine them together. Right? 
One of the hypotheses that I've thought through about why we haven't met an alien organization uh, or, or like uh, any sort of extraterrestrials <laughs> is because maybe at some point they get so advanced that they develop AR, VR, and then they just get into these universes and they never leave their planets, right? Because these VR oh, worlds are so rich and they are like in this, like they basically build like Dyson spheres around their star to extract as much energy as possible to do like crazy multidimensional VR. And then they're like, we're enjoying ourselves and having, you know, basically full bliss doing fun stuff. It's like gaming 24 seven, right? And then they wow. never leave. Uh, and that's probably why, you know, what, what's that, that um, the Fermi, Fermi's paradox. That's why we haven't found any aliens. I mean, everyone's just, semi paradox. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's just gaming, but, I'm, I'm just going to like, okay, so, so start. I, consider that dystopian or consider that incredibly utopian. If you could feel blissful in a heaven <laughs> of your own creation with 16 dimensional alien beings, you know, addressing to you in all their glory, is that not a bad world to live in? Uh, as opposed to the suffering that is the physical life. Um, but but suffering okay, is sorry. life. I mean, suffering if, you, if, you, if, you the, if you believe this, all story, right, Jesus. But yeah, yes. let's go. Let's go. Let's see all right, all right. So, so, so two things that uh, like first, whether the on ramp will be gaming or something else. One thing for me, the bet I'm going to take is that the on ramp is going to be entertainment, right? If you look at like so, like mm. most people don't use their phones to do utilitarian stuff. They're using it to use Facebook and Instagram. So I think there will be variations of these kinds of networks and entertainment that will exist. Um, that will be the on-ramp. So I think Facebook is investing heavily. Like they're, they're probably the largest investor in the metaverse right now, hence the rebrand, right? And they're investing in Oculus, but they're also investing in a whole uh, like ecosystem of tools and services that will allow people to live their social lives on these platforms, right? And I think like there's always like two phases. The first phase is when we try to do skeuomorphic things, things that resemble the physical world. And then there's a second phase where we realize we don't need to be skeuomorphic. And in this world, you can fly, you can move three-dimensionally. People don't need to look like avatars. You can have sex with dinosaurs, whatever it is that you can do in these like VR worlds, right? And then there's a third phase where like shit just breaks through and like even the rules of dimensions and whatever just disappears. And then you'll have new like 4D artists kind of creating stuff in like VR worlds. So I think that's like, like sort of like the path that we'll take. But, and we kind of, like we can envision like phase one, which is like telemetry and meetings in VRs, but it's hard to imagine phase two and phase three, right? Like no one in the 1990s would have been able to foresee TikTok, for example, um, which then begs the question of what are some like interesting stuff that you could see happen and that we can predict right now? And so see some of my predictions, right? Prediction number one, TVs will disappear. Once you have glasses that let you project the size of any screen you want on any wall, you will not need hardware that functions as a screen, right? And so the way we think about living rooms, the way we think about offices, this may change. We had a 20 year period where we had screens in our offices and these will disappear, right? Mobile phones will probably not be the hardware of choice for us to interact with the metaverse. We'll probably again use some kind of glasses to interact with the metaverse and some kinds of hand signals. And um, before we move into full-blown brain computer interfaces, right? And then you have all these like little things. So I think the hardware industry is gonna get blown up I think uh, I think um, software is going to fundamentally change. We probably will not use Word, PowerPoint, and Excel because it won't make sense in a three-dimensional world that we interact with each other. But then that begs, like, what are the new winners that will exist 15 to 20 years from now? It's interesting that you say that because, you know, Facebook's first, like, metaverse, like, during the, their metaverse announcement, the product that they demoed was, um, like, a workspace 
product. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember what they call it. It's called like Facebook. I, I think actually it's literally called workspaces. <laughs> um, and, and, and that was, and you know, if you follow popular opinion, that's like one of the reasons they had to change their name because no one would adopt an enterprise solution from Facebook because no one exactly anymore yeah, at this point. Thing. Yeah. So that's, yeah. uh, I just, I, I thought that was like, a, like an interesting point. Um, I don't know. Cause I think, I think what this really is asking is like, what is it to be a human being? Right. And like, yeah. and how much, you know, cause this, this is all, this is always the conflict that we have, right. We, we have like the fact that like our ability to develop technology and the pace that technology develops at far outstrips our evolutionary process, right? Like, I mean, if you think about it, like we're essentially, we're not that different. Or, or uh, is it part of our evolutionary, evolutionary process? Well, this is, this is, this is the question is like at a certain point, like what does it mean to be a human being, right? Like if I upload my brain into the fucking internet or into the cloud and there's like multiple instances of me, which one was the original me? Or are any of them me or now do I branch? And then there's like, you know, no. dude, dude, you're already a computer. Game you're game already a computer program working on shitty wetware, right? <laughs> like the biological constructs that we are made from are pretty terrible. They last 70 years, they oxygenate, they get fat, and they don't like do very well, right? We have silicon substrates that are able to carry conscious thought in some way or form within the next 20 or 30 years that will be much more persistent that have better memories. I don't know why you have this big tie to this like shitty wetware that you have been given. Oh, he's definitely not. He's going to live forever. That's because that's what we have. First of all, I, first of all, I don't, cause I'm actually, I don't know the rest of you, but I plan to freeze myself and live forever by uploading <laughs> on the internet. Right. But there is, <laughs> but there's, there's a, there's a question of unintended consequences. Right. I, I think this is always what I kind of come back to is like, you know, we can have all these great ideas and all these great dreams, but like, you know, we invent a new technology or invent a new uh, framework system and we, we can never truly predict what the consequences of these things are, right? Like yeah. Facebook is a great example. Half the shit the CCP does is a great example, right? So yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe in Bro, years, I, I mean, my take on this is you just got to keep making mistakes and, and then, then we figure it out and we fix it. That's what we've been doing as humans. When we made fire, did we know it was going to burn shit down? No, we thought it was going to cook some tasty food. And then we realized, oh shit, that thing can kill too, right? Every piece of technology that you create yeah. is going to have some harm. But if we just get scared of it, we go, no fire, too much heat, too much light, no, then you just never find advancement. And ultimately, technology being a technological animal is part of our evolutionary culture. Like that's that's what we we evolved brains that were able to be independent from the instructions within our genes. And now we have this conscious sentient thing that's built on pretty rudimentary wetware, but still trying to create like interesting lives. We're gonna make mistakes along the way. Like every generation has its Facebook, right? Um and then we've got the shit around global warming to deal with, but you can't be so negative about it, bro. Like you gotta, you gotta hope that people figure it out. But that's my point: is I'm not being a luddite, right? I'm not saying let's stick our fucking ha- heads in the sand and pretend like technology doesn't exist. But at a certain point, right, you invent something, and like we are short. Like by definition, the human species is short-sighted we're not meant to do long-term planning right and no, at a certain true. point we might I, until our wetware gets on that, on that so until the consciousness gets into the silicon and the silicon can live for three thousand years then we start having long-term views on things sure or or we invent the robots well, you're just talking about so it's, AGI it's one of these two yeah. things right 
Yeah, yeah. AGI. Yeah. That's the thing. It's AGI. Like, we, we, some, we have three some minutes, dude guys, that's AGI, and he assists us. So, yeah. Anyway. All right, guys. We we went off the far left. Uh, Jangan, why don't you give us a, a closer your your wisdom, your pra- your pragmatic yeah, please, wisdom for us? Please bring us back. No, I don't, <laughs> no, I don't have any wisdom. Where 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 are you guys, Alex and Andrew, back to Asia? I'm coming back the 19th. I'll be free of quarantine the 28th, the 27th. So we should meet up. I, I will still be in Kuala Lumpur. Andrew, we're gonna just come to your house. I I would so like to be. Back on the 21st, but I'm finding out that people in the UK need to get a tracker and do hotel quarantine as opposed to home quarantine. If Excuses I to, spend, to not come home. If I have to spend for also, my other half decided not to come back. So now I've no, like, you know, one less reason. Yeah, Amy's in Melbourne. So what does it yeah, matter? Exactly. Yeah, just go to Melbourne. No, my, my family's there. I want to spend uh, Christmas with my family, right? Uh, no, that's right. Also, also, uh, I really enough. miss Jude. Yeah, right? I haven't seen I haven't seen Jude. Jude in yeah, months. I haven't seen Jude. Yeah, that's I mean, why I'm going it's, home. It's a, it's a struggle. <laughs> I think about Jude often. I see a dog on the street. I shed a tear. Right? It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking? I'm not even joking. Like I, I keep meeting people's dogs and petting them and going. I, I have a a friend's dog. <laughs> like, I can't even say it's my dog. Right. It's like attached to someone else's dog. I'm a godparent to a dog. Yeah. And I miss it. So like, in, your, in, in your version, in your version of the metaverse, are there going to be like little meta Jews running around? Dude, I love oh, Sabrina puppies. would have like thousands of dogs, probably, if it's like digital, for sure. That's right. All right, guys. Uh, I'm glad we got to squeeze this in. Somehow it's been a long, dry spell, uh, but we'll meet again 27th, 28th, film another one before the new year. And then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up and prepare for the 2022. Two, 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 two. Gonna be great year. Two, two. All right. Cheers, guys. All right, Take guys. Care. Good episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay. Ah, All right, guys. Okay. All right. Enjoy KL. Bye. Enjoy London. Bye, guys. Bye. See ya. Bye. Yeah. Bye.